I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling the grateful language of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is more than just a meal. Thanksgiving is more than just an act of worship. And it is that, friends. I want you to see that Thanksgiving is also a weapon. What does it do? It tears down the kingdom of darkness. Thanksgiving is a tool because it helps build the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of light. I think this is a timely message, not just because we will celebrate Thanksgiving later this month, but because it comes at a time when we have been warring against unfathomable interference and opposition. I'm talking about forces that sometimes through repeated buffeting, repeated mind shots, buffeting and annoyances, they have a way sometimes of quieting, silencing, muzzling, if you will, the thankful expressions and thankful communications of so many people within the body of Christ even. Did you know that God has built into every creature the ability to communicate? I don't know as it would be fair if you put a creature on this earth and he had no ability to communicate. I think we need the ability to communicate. The cricket communicates through its wings. The fly communicates because it releases chemicals. Bees, the honeybee, if you will, communicates through movement. They call it the dance language. So God has programmed into every creature the ability to communicate. But I love what he's done with man. He's given us many ways to communicate. Animals and creatures may just have one way to communicate or maybe a couple of ways to communicate. But inside of man, he's given us unlimited resources to communicate, to communicate with him, to communicate with one another. He has programmed that into man. One of the most effective means of communication is through the grateful language of thanksgiving. And I want to say this, friends, if we are waiting for all the interferences all of the opposition to fade away before we decide to be thankful or to express thanksgiving, you will be waiting until Jesus comes again. Our thanksgiving clears the path many times. It clears things out of the way. It pushes back the forces of darkness. Remember, what I said is thanksgiving is a weapon. Thanksgiving is like a trowel in the hand of the believer. It can come along and it can begin to build something so magnificent, something so beautiful. In Psalm chapter 23 and verse 5, David said these words. He said, thou. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. He said, thou preparest a table. Look what he says before me in the presence of mine enemies. Friends, I want to tell you something. I've thrown a few parties here and there over the years, birthday parties, whatever, Christmas. I can't remember the last time I thought, I'm going to invite my enemies. But he says, thou preparest a table in the presence of mine enemies. And guess what? We are to come to the table with courage. We are to come to the table with confidence. And we are to come to the table with thanksgiving, not only in our heart, but upon our lips. You see, the last time I checked looking at that scripture, it's our heads that are anointed, not the enemies. It's our cup that runneth over. His cup is dry. His head is not anointed. 
The anointing, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The anointing, symbolic of power under the old covenant. He has anointed us with power. The Bible says, but as many as received Christ, to them gave he the power to become sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Well, we're sons of God. We have the power of God living on the inside of us. That is not only the dunamis power, but that is the privilege and the ability to be powerful in this world. And friends, listen, I don't want you to overlook this, and you might not, because I'm going to sound like a broken record today, but thanksgiving is a powerful weapon. And sometimes I don't know as though we use this weapon enough. I can't think of a day that was ever went by that I don't thank the Lord many times over. And I'm not talking about in a religious way where I just go, thank you, thank you for this, thank you for that. No, it just comes out. I think some of the first words out of my heart, some of the first words out of my mouth, I'll be the only one sitting in my living room, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'll just be thanking him for his goodness. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Daddy. And I'll just start thanking him for whatever comes to my heart. Even if nobody else is listening in, you're listening in. That's why David said, you know what? I encourage myself in the Lord. I'm telling you what, be thankful you will encourage yourself in the Lord. We are dealing with viruses, violence, and vipers on a level that most of us have never seen before. And I can tell you that these unwelcome intruders come with an arsenal of a strong man. But I want you to know something, this strong man can be bound in his home plunder. We are contending with forces that have come to steal, kill, and destroy. We are dealing with culprits that are on our mission to leech the very thanksgiving right out of us. And I think that's what happens sometimes. We tolerate disappointment so long because we didn't take time to encourage ourselves with the word. We didn't take time to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we've dealt with disappointment just so long. And you know what it does? It leeches the thanksgiving right out of us. So wherever that thanksgiving tank at, it seems kind of dry. I want to take you back to Psalm 23, verse 5, where he said, my cup runneth over. What is it runneth over with? It's not water. It's not holy water. It's not grape juice. It's running over with blessing. It's running over with thanksgiving. It's running over with his presence. It's running over with his heart. You got to look at that cup differently. You really do. You say, Pastor Mark, what's the big deal? Come on. What's the big deal if I'm not thankful? I'll tell you what the big deal is. Like I said, Thanksgiving is two instruments in one, a sword and a trowel. We tear down strongholds with the sword and we build up the kingdom of God with the word of grace. I'm talking about interferences and opposition that are at work to disrupt the lives and the peace of our family. Interferences, oppositions that have come to sow discord into the heart of the nation. You know what the word discord means? This means to divide. Cord comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. Discord means to divide the heart. And the enemy would come. And when I say enemy, I'm not just talking about the devil. Yes, he's behind it all. But the enemy can show up in different ways. But David said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I will not shut up even in the presence of my enemies. For thou said, my head is anointed. And in our case, we're totally anointed. We're saturated in the anointing of God. And he said, my cup runneth over, runneth over with blessings, runneth over with the goodness of God. Over the past several months, we have witnessed an ungodliness and evil that has permeated across our land. I'm talking about a force that has the audacity to call evil good and good evil. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon penned those words. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. But Isaiah would pen those same words in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light. See, it's just the opposite. Have you ever noticed there might be a man walking around 
just maybe one guy somewhere around Washington, D.C., I mean, somewhere in this world, that whatever that person does, everybody calls it the other way. They want it the other way. Isaiah said, look, this has been going on for a long time. You call evil good and good evil. And then he says, you put darkness for light and light for darkness. You put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Been going on a long time. Isaiah lived a long time ago. He did. In times like these, the times that we're walking in right now, I think it's refreshing to take that cup of God's blessing and just see yourself in the spirit realm, just dumping that cup all over you. Saturate yourself with this cup of blessing. But see ourselves and put ourselves in remember of what our Christian walk, what our Christianity was built upon. I'll tell you, in case you forgot, it's Jesus plus, come on, help me out. Nothing, that's it. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what our Christianity is built upon. That's what our relationship with God is built upon. It's Christ plus nothing. This is the gospel of grace. This is the gospel of peace. And this is the gospel of his dear son. It would be challenging to read the book of Romans without awakening the grateful language of thanksgiving. Every time I read the book of Romans, man, every time I dabble over in Romans, it starts awakening even more of the things that have been down deep for a while. I mean, Romans is just a powerhouse of a book. I think it'd just be, man, almost impossible to read this book and not awaken the grateful language of thanksgiving on the inside of you. And throughout chapter four, what it discusses in there is righteousness, righteousness that's been credited to Abraham because he believed God, righteousness that's been credited to us apart from works, righteousness by grace. The whole chapter is about that. He just over and over keeps driving that point home over and over, grace by faith, grace by faith, not under the law, credited as righteousness. He just nails it over and over and over. Kind of reminds me when we were kids and we used to play the record player, the phonograph, whatever you call it, and you hated to get a scratch in a record because it would get to that point and then it would bounce back. It could just keep bouncing back, keep bouncing back, keep bouncing back. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody been around long enough to remember this? And you'd have to kind of scoot the needle a little bit. Not you, Jim? Okay. All right. Amen. So friends, what I'm getting at is that's what Romans chapter four sounds like over and over from different angles. He's trying to show us you are made righteous by faith. And then he works his way into that very last verse of Romans chapter four, verse 28. And look what verse 28 says. There it is. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, he's just walked us through. We are righteous by faith. And then we could get there and go, well, okay, how am I going to get this faith? You could start creating this to-do list to make sure you've got this faith. Friends, it tells you how this happened. It says Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, not his, but ours. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know, man. You would have to be out of church for a long time not to get something out of this verse. He died for our sins, was raised in life for our justification. In the absence of Jesus' death, you and I would still be in our sins. In the absence of Jesus' resurrection, you and I would still be in our sins. You need both. If he died and stayed in the grave, we have no resurrected Christ. We have no plan of salvation. If he doesn't die, we have no plan of salvation. We need the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And you see it all in that one verse. He died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Isn't that beautiful? That's a great scripture. And then 
he would move into the very next chapter. Chapter five is what we know it as. And look what it starts off with. It starts off with that word, therefore. Now, I want you to do something in your mind here for a second. I want you to take chapters one through four on your computer and highlight all one through four. And I want you to hit the delete button. Gone. Now you're looking at Romans, starting with Romans chapter five, verse one. And guess what? That first word means nothing. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Because therefore is a pointer. It points back to something. It literally means for that reason. And so if we were to look at the word therefore, and we would say for that reason, we would say what reason? Well, Jesus just got through telling you he died for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. And then the very next words are for that reason. Get that in your heart. Don't try to add anything to it. For that reason alone that Jesus died for our sins and was raised in life for our justification. For that reason. You see, he's still flowing with the pen. He's still working on this book of Romans, this letter. And as he penned those words that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, he said, now, he said, I want to tell you, it's because of that reason. Now, chapter five begins to make sense. And he says these words, he said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice or we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter five, verses one and two. Look at them real close. It says, we have been justified. That literally means we have been declared innocent. We have been declared righteous before God. We are innocent in his eyes. We are made right. And it says, how does that happen? It says, by faith. We are justified through faith. And as a result, it says, we have peace. We have peace with God. Why? Because we're justified by Jesus's blood, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And guess what? We get bragging rights, not on ourselves. We get to boast, not about us. We get to boast about the one who died for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's who we get to boast about. That's who we get to brag about. That's who we get to rejoice in. Amen. Friends, we can rub our wings together and we can do a little dance. We can release chemicals of the grateful language of thanksgiving as we boast, as we brag, as we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, this is what grace has done for us through faith. Jesus would come along and he would say some things to the disciples that just didn't quite make sense. He would say what Paul penned in Romans chapter 5, a little bit different way. Look at these words in John chapter 14 and verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And then he says, not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled. I want you to remember that word. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Well, what's Jesus saying? He said, peace I leave with you. That speaks of finished work. He's not taking it back. Strict no return policy. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Well, he's got the most purest peace there is. He's the prince of peace. You can't get any more pure than that. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And then he says, but let me tell you something. It's not the same way the world will give it to you. Oh, what does he mean by that? You see, the world will give you things that can get stolen. Anybody had anything stolen ever in their life? I don't care what it was. Yeah, we've almost all had something. See, something that the world gives you can be stolen. Something that the world gives you can break down. You have to call the repairman. Something that the world gives you can decay and fall apart. Something that the world gives you can get lost. Jesus said, that is not the way I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you so you know that it's eternal. You cannot destroy it. You cannot lose it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth to give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled. I love that word, troubled. Neither let it be afraid. I draw your attention to that word trouble because it's about to come up in the Lazarus narrative. I want to just kind of walk you through this for a second. Jesus and his disciples are about 20 miles away from Bethany. 
They're doing what they're doing. They're on a mission trip. And all of a sudden, his friend, Lazarus, who has the sisters Mary and Martha, these are dear friends of Jesus. They're like best friends of Jesus. And every time Jesus would come through Bethany, he'd have to stop at their house and he'd have dinner with them and he would just probably sing songs with them and he would minister to them and they would minister to him. They had a love relationship. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what Lazarus's issue was, but he grew sick. And they knew he had been sick long enough that this didn't look good. And so they sent a man or two to go to Jesus. They knew about where he was at. Now, 20 miles doesn't sound like much because we have vehicles, but 20 miles walking is a long way. It took them a day to find Jesus. Then they found him. And then the Bible says that Jesus stayed where he was at two more days. Now, add one and two together, you got three, right? Now, it takes a day for Jesus to walk to Bethany. You've got four days. Does this timeline begin to make sense now when the Bible says he had been in the grave for four days? You see, they buried you the same day you died back then. In fact, many of the countries still do that kind of stuff. And so Jesus comes walking into Bethany. And as he's on the outskirts of the town, they would have people that would watch the towns, you know, just to make sure no intruders came in. And they saw Jesus coming. So they ran to tell Martha and Mary, the master has come. Mary stayed at the home, but Martha got up and ran to the edge of town. And look what she said. That's penned for us in John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. Her first words were, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's probably true. I don't know what Martha's doing here. I don't know if she's blaming him. I don't know if she's having a pity party. It's kind of a weird thing to say. But it's true. Had Jesus been there, he wouldn't have died. She said, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But she said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her these words, your brother will rise again. I love those words. Your brother will rise again. When Jesus said those words to Martha, I'll bet the crickets rubbed their wings together and I'll bet you the honeybees began to dance. Because they understood that language. All creation knows the voice of God. I'll bet there was a little party going on when they heard Jesus say, your brother will rise again. But what did Martha say? I know. Can you hear this? Can you get it? I mean, I don't think Martha went, I know. It was almost like she had this little attitude. She's like, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. I know you told us all that stuff. I remember that. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. Watch what she says, though. At the last day. What's the matter with today? At the last day, Jesus said to her, I love this one, man. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said that. He said, Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he looked at Martha and he said these words. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, in Martha's defense, I don't think she fully understood what Jesus was really getting at, to be honest. Come on. I mean, we can all look back, but we've got Bibles that we read. We have already looked back on these stories. We've already read them a million times. She didn't have that advantage. She was still learning. She didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of her like we do. So I don't think she fully understood what Jesus was saying. So in her defense, I'll let her off the hook. You know, if she would have understood him, her response would have been a little bit different. But instead, you know what she does? She runs back to the house. She runs back to get her sister Mary. 
Jesus didn't even ask her for Mary. And she goes back and tells Mary, the master's asking for you. No, he didn't say anything about that. Maybe he did and it's not recorded. I don't know. If Martha had really believed what Jesus said about him being the resurrection and the life, and that your brother will rise again, then the grateful language of thanksgiving would have burst forth. So now we have Martha back. We have Mary that's come. We have the mourners that are there. The 3M company, if you will, okay? They're all there. And guess what they're all doing? They're weeping. They're crying. I think it's amazing that they love their brother the way they love their brother. I appreciate that. I do. But how would Jesus respond to this? As he looked around and he saw, no doubt, dozens, maybe a hundred, maybe a couple hundred people there. And they're all weeping. They're all crying. And the resurrection and the life is standing right in front of them. You know what his response was? The first thing he did, the Bible says, he groaned in the spirit. Look at these words, and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Wait a minute now. You mean Jesus, the one who said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now it says about him that he was troubled in his spirit. Friends, it's the same word. These are not two different words. It's the very same word. I think what troubled the master, and I've said it before, but I think it bears repeating. What troubled the master, what troubled Jesus, is that every single one of them saw the resurrection as an event, a future event, that is, rather than the person himself, Jesus Christ. And so often we can do that too. We can always see things as just some sort of cataclysmic event that's coming someday. He is our rapture. He is our resurrection. He is our life. See him for the person, not the event. Friends, if you invite somebody over to your home and the only reason they come is for free food, I mean, that's a poor reason to come. Do you understand what I'm saying? If they're not coming because they're your friend. And so to just say, I'm just going to push this out into the future somewhere. It's just an event. No, the resurrection and the life is Christ. He had told them that I am the resurrection and the life. I think what we see in this picture here where it talks about Jesus being moved, the Bible says. It talks about him being troubled. It talks about him being stirred in some of the uh, different translations is we see the humanity side of Christ. He's not concerned about whether or not Lazarus is dead. He's the resurrection and the life. Why would you be concerned about that? He's just sleeping. It was just like he told his disciples. He's just asleep. He's falling asleep. And I'm going to go and wake him up. Friends, that's all death is in, in Christ. It's just sleep. That's all it is. And it's just for a moment. But we see the humanity side, the side that we can most identify with, with Christ, and he can most identify with us with, the humanity of Christ to be moved in his heart and in his spirit. I've never seen a time when our country was more polarized than it is right now. I've never seen a time when so much hatred was walking around like it is now. Friends, let me say it this way. There's only one way out of hatred, and that is through the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Remember, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. We are the very ones, listen to me carefully, we are the very ones that can demonstrate his life and his love and his liberty to others. Love is best expressed through the grateful language of thanksgiving. Hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can drive out hatred. I think that's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 12, verses 26 through 29. Look at this. Jesus said, if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. You see, hatred cannot drive out hatred. It has no desire to drive it out. And here's the good news. Love cannot drive out love. 
when Christ comes to live in our heart, he fills us full of his love and love can never drive that love back out again. Love drives out hatred and hatred is not powerful enough to drive out love. Friends, if these walls were red in here, and every single week I added a new coat of red paint to these walls, red paint could never drive out the red paint. Do you get it? It takes something totally, radically different. And love is the most powerful force there is on this planet. God's love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It shows you his motivation. It wasn't that he just pitied us. He loved us. And what did he do? He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? Friends, let me say it this way. The strong man wears many disguises, but his mission is the same, to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the virus, he is the violence, and he is the viper. But we have been given power to bind the strong man and to plunder him. The power that we have been given is given through prayer. It's given through the love of God, and it's given by us releasing the gospel of grace together. They work in harmony, almost like an orchestra, to crescendo, if you will, the grateful language of thanksgiving. In spite of the virus, the violence, and the vipers, we can choose to walk in peace and in the spirit of thanksgiving. We must not allow these dark forces to rob us of the grateful language of thanksgiving. Remember what I said, continuous buffeting has a way of working on us. It has a way of working us over till it eventually robs us of our joy. It robs us of our peace. And then it will rob us of our thanksgiving. The issues that we are dealing with are nothing new. Noah dealt with these issues. Joseph dealt with these issues. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Malachi. They all dealt with these issues. Jesus dealt with these issues. The disciples dealt with these issues. And friends, the Apostle Paul dealt with the same issues. I don't have the PowerPoint slides for this, but in Acts 27, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is one of 276 prisoners on a ship. It's a cargo ship. And the Apostle Paul looks out in chains across a calm sea. But he's got enough wisdom on the inside of him, and he calls the captain of the ship. He calls the pilot of the ship, and he says, men, I can tell that our voyage is going to be disastrous. This is the hurricane season. But you know what they did? They listened to the advice of the pilot, and they sailed on. They were so short-sighted. You see, they're going to take him to Rome, where he's got to stand before Caesar. Let me ask you a question. Why was the Apostle Paul a prisoner? What crime had he committed? I'll tell you what it was. He kept proclaiming the grateful language of thanksgiving that showed up in words like this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And they hated those words. Those words divided. Those words were such a sword into their hearts. And it was for those kind of reasons that put him on a ship as a prisoner. If he would have just shut up, if he would have just lived a peaceable life somewhere. But no, you see, this was bubbling up and out of him. He was thankful for that encounter on the road to Damascus. He was thankful that the Holy Spirit had filled him with power when Ananias laid his hands on his head. He was thankful for this. And the spirit of thanksgiving just continually rose up out of him. 
Paul kept turning on the light of the gospel of grace. And guess what? <laughs> there were people that thought Paul needed to be censored. So let's take him to Rome. Let's take him to the big guy, the big dude, Caesar himself. Let's get him in front of him. Get him censored. Years ago, I worked with a person that despised me. I wouldn't say that person hated my guts, but they didn't like me. Would you like to know what my crime was? She told her friend that she didn't like me because I was too happy. <laughs> you see, she didn't like the fact that I rubbed my wings together once in a while and made a joyful noise. She didn't like the fact that I did a little dance once in a while and made a joyful noise unto the Lord. She didn't like the fact that I released a chemical in the air so that when people walked through, they went, the atmosphere feels peaceful here. What's going on? Friends, did you know that you can leave your peace in places? Jesus told the disciples that. If they don't receive you, dust off your feet, dust off your shoes, and take your peace back with you. She didn't like that. She said to that other lady, she said, nobody should be that happy. <laughs> you say, Pastor Mark, can you explain that? I think I can, actually. The grateful language of thanksgiving was bubbling up and out of me. We used to sing that song. It just came to my mind uh, on the church bus. When I was just a little kid riding to church, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. I'm singing, I'm shouting, since Jesus made me whole, I cannot understand it. I cannot keep it quiet. It's bubbling, 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 bubbling day and night. And we just go right back into it, all the way to church. It's bubbling. We'd be hanging out the windows of the church, but it's bubbling, it's bubbling, singing it to the people walking up and down the sidewalk. It's bubbling in my soul. Friends, that's what I'm getting at. This spirit of thanksgiving, this grateful language, this grateful expression of thanksgiving is a weapon. It's a trowel at the same time to build with. Don't be shy. This is no time to be shy. We've got to be bold. We've got to understand we should be confident. We've come to the table. Remember, the enemy has no anointing on him. His cup is dry. You've got all the oil. You've got all the anointing. You've got all the blessing. And your cup is running over. I want you to see you as the cup. It's not a cup that goes into your hand like a little coffee cup or something like that. You are the cup. Under the old covenant, it may have been a physical thing, but that was just a type and shadow. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. You're going to be the cup. You're going to be the cup of blessing. Sometimes this grateful language will come with words. Other times it will come with no words, only actions. Nevertheless, listen to me carefully. Thanksgiving is a vaccine for the virus of pity. Thanksgiving is a vaccine against the violence of condemnation. You got condemnation? Thanksgiving. We'll get rid of that condemnation. Thanksgiving is a vaccine against the viper that lurks underneath the brush pile. You see, friends, darkness hates the light. And darkness hates thankfulness and thankful people. But you and I cannot hate the ones that hate us. We must love at all times. We must allow the grateful language of thanksgiving to ooze from the depths of our soul. See yourself like old Jed Clampett shooting at something, man. And all of a sudden, out of the ground came up a balloon crude. Oh, that is... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put that in the word, but do you get the picture now? See, that's the Holy Spirit just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling up out of us. No time to be shy. Be good to people. Amen? So the Apostle Paul has been on this ship with 276 prisoners and crew, and it got to the point because 
the hurricane, that nor'easter they called it. They, in the Greek, it's called the Eurachlodon. Ooh, it sounds scary, doesn't it? Eurachlodon. It's the name of it. It had a field day with that ship. It tossed it around. I mean, I can only imagine those prisoners were just waiting for any time. All the crew and everybody just waiting for that ship to capsize. For 14 days, the word says they didn't see the stars. They didn't see the moon. They didn't even see the sun for 14 days. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face. It was so dark laying in the bottom of the boat with the water swashing you around, sick. They said they couldn't eat even. They couldn't eat for 14 days. Excrement everywhere. Do you get the picture? It's an awful picture. And it got to the point where even the Apostle Paul was so troubled, he said he had lost all hope of being saved. Remember, He's got a humanity side to him, just like John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. But yet he had a humanity side to him that said, when he was locked up in prison, can you go ask him one more time? Just go ask him one more time. Talk to my cousin for me and ask him, is he the one? Wait a minute now, you just introduced the Lamb of God to the whole world, the one that takes away the sin of the whole world. And now you need to know, friends, this is what trouble will do. This is why I'm telling you the gratitude and the grateful heart of thanksgiving is a weapon against trouble. And so the Apostle Paul, he has given up hope too. And then I love it. An angel came. Now, friends, listen, I'm not opposed to angels, but we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is far above the angels. Not five miles, not 10 miles, not 100 miles, not just in rank. The Holy Spirit is infinitely greater than angels. Angels are created beings. That's all they are. That's all they are. In fact, we are higher than angels. We are sons and daughters seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So an angel comes and visits Paul late one night. And guess what his words were to Paul? He said, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. It was almost like he was reading his mail. He said, do not be afraid. He said, you must stand trial before Caesar. And he said, God will spare the lives of all the men that sail with you. He said, he has graciously given them into your hands. And he even went on to say, not a single one of them will lose a single hair off their head. Come on. This is supernatural, friends. And so they were able to be encouraged. They were able to eat and gain some strength. And sometime after that, the storm began to subside. I'm telling you this morning, every storm will subside. And the more we start speaking thankful things into the storm, the quicker it will get out of our way, friends. Even if it's continuing in the natural, the quicker it will get out of our emotional realm. There are people right now because of what happened last week that are so distraught. They're spitting nails. They're suicidal. They just can't even think. Friends, listen, I am resting in Christ. I'm trusting in Christ for this thing. As they sail along, there's an island in front of them. And pretty soon, the bow of that ship sticks into the sandbars of Sirtis. And as that bow sticks in, the waves beat against the stern and it breaks that ship into pieces. Isn't God's timing perfect? Just happens to be a convenient little island right there. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and so all the prisoners, all the men jump into the water and they swim to the little island there. Now, I couldn't help but think last night when I was looking at this and putting my nose together, I thought, Daddy, this would just be a really good time to drown these guys, these ugly men, you know, these ungodly men. You know, like in the days of Noah, Daddy, this would be a great time. You know why he didn't? Because it's not his heart. It's not the heart of Papa. Besides, Papa has hung a rainbow in the sky to remind us of his covenant of promise. 
I can't speak for you, but when I see a rainbow, friends, I'm reminded of Papa's promise. I'm reminded of his covenant. I'm reminded that that is a grateful language of thanksgiving. What is daddy thankful for? He's thankful that Jesus finished the work. Jesus stood in the gap for us, friends. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for our sins, raised to life in justification for our sins. So let's get these guys on the island, okay? Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. They're on the island. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Isn't that beautiful? They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper! You know what a viper is, friends? It's not just a snake. It is a poisonous snake, friends. A viper. I don't know. Cobra, maybe a mamba. I don't know what kind of snake it was, but it was a viper. In other words, when it bit you, you had a death sentence. There was nothing you could do about it. This viper fastened itself on Paul's hand. So the Apostle Paul has been a prisoner on a cargo ship. He's been held captive on this ship for many days. He is dealing with men that have been infected with the virus of ungodliness. The ship that he's been on has been caught by the hurricane force wind called the Eurachlodon. And the Bible says we took such a violent battering. That's the words it uses. A violent battering. On the heels of all that interference, on the heels of all that opposition, now you think you're on the right side of things. A viper is hanging from Paul's hands. Friends, this whole narrative makes the Poseidon adventure look like a cartoon. Because you're in constant suspense, constant unbelief. How could it get any worse than this? Next verses, it says, When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Now look at the next words, it says, But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. In other words, that viper didn't rob Paul of his grateful language of thanksgiving. Next scriptures, it says, The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. You know what Paul did after that? He went around healing people on the island. You see, he didn't let adversity get in the way. He had this bubbling spirit of thanksgiving. He had a word from the Lord. He said, listen, you're going to stand trial before Caesar. He had the word from the angel. You're going to stand trial before Caesar and not a single man will be lost. Friends, we got to stand on God's promises. We got to stand on daddy's promises. When our emotions are talking to us, when our feelings are talking to us, when the newspapers are talking to us, we've got to stand on his promises. We do. What is our response to the virus? I'll tell you, we are not troubled. What is our response to the violence? We turn on the light of the gospel of grace. What is our response when we're bitten by vipers? We shake them off into the fire. That's what we do. Friends, Thanksgiving is so much more than the fourth Thursday of November. I believe that Thanksgiving should be celebrated, commemorated, and communicated on a daily basis. Start your day with Thanksgiving. We need to celebrate. We need to communicate. I'm talking about even in the presence of interference and opposition, even in the presence of viruses and violence and vipers, even in the presence of our enemies, we need to celebrate his goodness. We need to communicate our thanksgiving. God's word tells us that our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Did you hear that? 
our weapons. Didn't I tell you earlier that one of those greatest weapons we've got is thanksgiving? So that could get overlooked real easy. We'd start praying in tongues. You know, well, that's a great weapon, yeah. But it's not our only weapon. Our weapon is thanksgiving or thanks living if you want to. Be grateful that you're alive in this country. Be grateful that you are the cup of blessing. God's word tells us, again, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons show up, listen to me carefully, in the form of pureness. See, you didn't think that was a weapon, did you? Oh, it's a weapon. Our weapons show up in the form of righteousness. That's a weapon. Shows up in the form of kindness. That's a weapon. It shows up in the form of grace and truth. It shows up in the form of unfeigned, unfaked love. And it shows up in the power of God. But friends, one of the greatest weapons we've got, one of the greatest weapons of our warfare is the weapon of thanksgiving. Now I'm going to make a statement here because daddy is always drawing pictures in my heart. He's always drawing pictures in my heart. And as I was sitting quietly, on, I believe it was Friday, this was the picture he drew into my heart and I put it into words. He said, Thanksgiving is the fruit that hangs from the vocal cords of the righteous. It's that close. Thanksgiving is the fruit that hangs from the vocal cords of the righteous. You see, when a believer discovers the revelation of just how innocent they really are, the grateful language of thanksgiving will manifest. When a believer discovers just how pure they are, the grateful language of thanksgiving will appear. When believers discover just how innocent they are, the grateful language will appear. When believers discover how holy they are, how lovely they are, how justified they are, then friends, the grateful language of thanksgiving will show up. Not only on our countenance, but also through our words. Our vocal cords will ring. Our vocal cords will sing with thanksgiving. I was walking through the break room at my work this past week. I believe it was Thursday. We have a lot of new hires, 30 of them maybe or so. I don't even know most of their names. And there were 10 or 15 people seated in there, and I don't even know most of them, but I came in there typing my hands. and I don't plan this kind of stuff, okay? I'm just thankful. I've got Thanksgiving. It's, I told you, it's bubbling up and out of me, right? It's bubbling, it's bubbling. Come on, you know that verse? It's bubbling in my soul. I'm singing, I'm shouting. Since Jesus made me whole, I cannot understand it. I cannot keep it quiet. It's bubbling, bubbling in the break room. It's bubbling day and night. So I came walking into the break room, right? And I started clapping. And there was a young man seated at a table. Now listen, I'm going to tell you what he said to me. I'm not going to take a single word away from what he said, and I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm not going to embellish what he said, okay? Here's what he said to me. I wrote it down. He said to me, when I see you, he said, you are always so happy. And then he said, why is that? And I walked over to him and I said, friend, it's because Jesus Christ lives on the inside of me. He said to me, he said, I can't argue with that. Those were his words, friends. You say, Pastor Mark, can you explain that exchange of words? Sure, I can. Like I said a moment ago, the grateful language of thanksgiving hangs from my vocal cords like stalactites hang from the roof of a cave. Friends, it was during that exchange of words that the fruit of thanksgiving spontaneously erupted and it sought opportunity to point to my innocent Christ. It sought opportunity to point to my pure Christ. It sought opportunity to point to my lovely, my holy, and my righteous Christ, my righteous Jesus. Amen. I always like to look at it like this. Thanksgiving is a 12-letter word 
that is made from two six-letter words, the word thanks and the word giving. And I believe they belong together, don't you? I do. Did you know that the most sacrificial givers in the world are also the most thankful people? True. I don't think that's news anymore, but it does kind of surprise me every time I think about that. The poor are always more generous than the rich. So let's ask the poor the same question that man asked me in the break room. <laughs> You're always so happy. Now why is that? It's because the poor person's hope is not in a currency that can be contaminated or manipulated by viruses, by violence, or by vipers. Their hope is in the glory of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, all over again. Jesus was in Jerusalem one day, and he was standing as people came to the treasury he and his disciples, and he was just watching. I want you to take a look at what he saw and what he said. We find the scriptures, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says this, now Jesus is looking at the treasury. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Two little copper coins. That's it. So he said to his disciples, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. You say, Pastor Mark, you're in the explaining mode. Can you go ahead and explain that one too? I'll be happy to. I would. This woman was not doing what she was doing because she was under some sort of law that mandated that she give everything. So let's just get that one out of the way. She's not under a mandatory law to give everything she has. Number one. Number two, she is not giving out of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. You say, how in the world would you know that? Because had she been, Jesus would have never commended her because the motive would have been wrong. What I love about this story as I look at it is that this poor woman, this poor widow did not allow the interference and the competition and the opposition of logic, emotions, feelings, and reasoning to control her purse strings. Now please, a Selah belongs right there, which means pause and think about that. She didn't allow her emotions and her feelings because had she reasoned this thing out, it doesn't make sense. I'm a widow. Money is scarce. And I've put in all I have and I still have to eat. So she would have reasoned her way right out of that. You see, friends, this woman had a revelation of the goodness of God toward her. And guess what? Nothing else mattered. Nothing mattered. I'm getting to that point, friends. Listen, I don't want to be some crazy man. I don't want to be labeled that. But I'm getting to the point where nothing else matters. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to be good to you. Wherever I go, I'm just going to be me. I am set so free. It's only a free man that can come into a break room clapping like that and just looking at everybody and talking to them. It's only a free man that can do that. Every time I go to the dry cleaners, I've told you this before, every time I go to the dry cleaners, he'll be way back in the back dry cleaning, sometimes around the corner. I'll come in clapping like crazy and I'll hear him around the corner going, Mark! And I'll go, how'd you know it was me, man? He said, you're the only person that's ever come in. We, me and my brother have had this for 40 or 50 years. You're the only person that's ever come into our dry cleaners clapping. I said, really? <laughs> this woman had a revelation of the goodness of God toward her. Nothing else mattered. As a result, she was living a life of thanksgiving. She gave in hope. She trusted in faith. And her giving was birthed out of the principle of love. And in the quietness of that moment, even over the chuckles maybe of the Pharisees, 
the religious people, you know, who thought they had given more. Jesus singled her out as he made note of the grateful language of thanksgiving, a thanksgiving that was expressed without words. It was expressed with clink, clink, the sound of two copper coins. The widow's giving was motivated by faith, love, and hope. The greatest of these is love. As I descend now in this message, I want to say this. It probably won't come as any surprise to you to hear, to understand that babies are not born with thankful hearts. They're not born with hearts of thanksgiving. They're not pre-programmed with thanksgiving. Oh, they let you sleep, maybe. They wouldn't fuss so much. Thanksgiving is the language of them that have experienced, I believe, the finished work of grace. They've experienced the goodness of God. Thanksgiving, though, is like a muscle. It must be exercised, and it is developed over time, friends. Be intentional about it at first if you have to. If you find, I don't really think I'm that thankful, Mark, well, then be intentional about it. Listen, if you go to the gym, you have to be intentional. You got to get in the car. You got to put on your gym clothes. You got to go get underneath the weights. You got to push them up and down. You have to be intentional about going to the gym, don't you? Be intentional about being thankful. The grateful language of thanksgiving is developed through the revelation of Papa's goodness. Now, here we go. The word thanksgiving comes from the Greek word eucharistia. Eucharistia. It's where we would get our English word like eulogy to speak good of something. It means to speak well of something. It means to give thanks. And that's what we do when we give a eulogy. It comes from this word right here. We speak well of someone. We give thanks for that person. Now, I want you to see the definition of eucharistia. It means gratitude to God, an act of worship, thankfulness, giving of thanks, thanksgiving. Look at those next three words. A grateful language friends that is where the inspiration for this entire message came from when i was meditating upon giving thanks and i began to say daddy what's behind this word and i saw those words i'm telling you they leaped in my heart like john the baptist leaped in his mother's womb i said whoa what have we got here and then it was it's bubbling it's bubbling it's bubbling in my soul yeah, I'm singing, I'm shouting, since Jesus made me whole, yeah, that, and, yeah, that's it. But friends, I want you to make note of something that sandwiched right in the middle of this Greek word, eucharistia. Take a look at it. Eucharistia. It is the word charis. In the Greek, they say hares. But do you see that sandwich right in the middle of eucharistia? Charis translates as grace. You show me a thankful person and I'll show you a person that has the revelation of God's grace working in the middle of their heart. Once again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And one of the greatest weapons we possess is the grateful language of thanksgiving. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We live in a world of interference and opposition. Virus, violence, and viper come to buffet and annoy, kill, steal, and destroy, but every one of these strong men are bound and then plundered through the grateful language of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the fruit that hangs from the vocal cords of the righteous, but it must be exercised. I'm talking about the fruit that communicates the language of faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I'm talking about the fruit that is served to others through the revelation that our Father has showed us an unusual kindness. Fruit that is served to others through the revelation that our resurrected lives are more than events. It's the person of Jesus Christ living on the inside of us, bubbling up and out of us. Fruit that is served through the revelation that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and then was raised to life for our justification. Fruit that is served to others through the revelation that we have been justified by grace through 
faith alone, that kind of fruit. Friends, hear the communication of the cricket as it rubs its wings together in thanksgiving. Observe the honeybee as it dances like David before the Lord. Friends, may I remind us that thanksgiving is two instruments in one. Remember the old commercial two mints in one? It's two instruments, mints in one. A weapon and a tool, a sword and a trowel. With the sword we tear down strongholds and with the trowel of grace we build up the kingdom of his dear son. Friends, may I draw our attention back to the poor widow, that little woman, the woman who refused to allow the interference and opposition of her emotions and her feelings and her logic and her reasoning to control her purse strings. That widow woman was full of hope. She was full of faith. She was full of love. She was full of devotion. And she was full of Eucharistia, gratitude to God. In fact, Jesus was so impressed by the widow's devotion and love that he called his disciples together and said, I want you to observe the heart of that woman. Do you see her wings? Do you see her dance? Can you smell her fragrance of love? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, James, Judah, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. I want you to take a good, long look at the widow woman. This is how I would define the grateful language of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Maybe we didn't even realize what a weapon we carry. We didn't realize what a tool we carry to build the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you, Father. We thank you that the fruit of this grace hangs from our vocal cords. And as we speak, we can speak words that edify the body of Christ. We can speak words that are seasoned with salt and bring such hope. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dark place like Paul was on the boat. Sometimes the vipers come along and bite us when we're just trying to be helpful. But what do we do? We do what Paul did. We shake it off into the fire. I want to thank you, Father, that all of us belongs to all of you. I want to thank you, Father, that there is nothing in this world that I'm so partial to, no material object that I'm so partial to, that I wouldn't give it all, just like the widow woman. I'm thankful, Father, that an anthem of thanksgiving is rising across this nation. I'm thankful, Father, that there is a manifestation of your glory that the unsaved will begin to see too. They will begin to see this. They will take note of the wings that we have, Daddy. They'll take note of our dance. They'll take note of the fragrance that we leave in the air as we deposit words of thanksgiving. I'm so grateful for you, Father. I'm so grateful for this time. I bless these people in Jesus' name and this word. Amen. Amen.